Hey, everybody, welcome back to Gear 30 on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, the founder of Blister, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. Now, before we get started, I want to ask you a little favor. We know that a ton of you are listening to these Gear 30 episodes each week, and that number continues to grow. So since you keep tuning back in, then I would like to personally ask you to go leave us that five-star rating in iTunes. It's pretty literally the quickest and easiest thing you can do for us. And I mean, hell, we made Paul Forward get up at like 5 a.m. this morning to record this episode, and then he had to walk to work in 30 degrees below zero temperatures. That is a true story. So if Paul is going to be getting up before dawn and then putting on every single warm layer he owns to go walk to work, seriously, I think you can take 30 seconds to leave that five-star rating, right? And since I believe that you are the type of person who likes to do the right thing, I'm just going to go ahead and say thank you right now for that five-star rating and cheers to you. Okay, so last week we talked about the most influential and the best ski gear of the past decade, and now it's time to make our predictions about what gear is going to look like 10 years from now. We are going to discuss which product categories have the most room for improvement, which products will actually change the most by the end of the next decade, what gear will change the least, and we wrap up with our wildest gear predictions for where gear maybe could be in 10 years. We discuss all of this and more in a roundtable conversation with Paul Forward, Luke Kappa, Sam Shaheen, Kristen Sinat, and myself. But to get things started, we actually add some additional thoughts to last week's Gear 30 conversation about the most influential and best gear of the past decade. So let's now go ahead and get right to it. All right, folks. Well, before we get to the predictions part of this conversation, I want to go back and take care of uh, some loose threads that we have or revisit our previous episode where we were talking about gear awards for the past decade. We'll kind of move through this quickly, but we've got some really good comments and questions and nominations from listeners on the website. So let's we'll kind of tick through a few of these things before we get to the predictions. But one thing we wanted to do, since Paul Forward was not able to join us on the the previous Gear Awards podcast, Paul wanted to make sure that we talked about the Dinafit TLT5. So Paul, the floor is yours. Uh, make the case for why this needs to be uh, among the products when we're talking about most influential or best p- products of the last decade? So the Dinafit TLT5, particularly the performance version that had the, um, the carbon-constructed uh, upper cuff, came out, I think, right around 2010. And as far as I know, and correct me if I'm wrong here, I think that was the first like mainstream ski boot on the market that used the Grillamid material, uh, which pretty much now is the standard for all touring boots that emphasize uh, 
a low weight but relatively high performance. And it's even worked its way into some of the non-touring boots on the market because people like the lighter weight. But uh, that boot had an awesome fit. It was crazy light. I mean, it was the first boot that anybody really skied to any in any meaningful way, I think, that weighed like, you know, under 1,300 grams. And uh, that boot could do just about anything. And there are lots of people like me who modified it to make it even more capable. But I think it was way ahead of its time. And I think all of the kind of modern two-buckle-ish touring boots that we talk about are basically refinements on that boot. But that was a, kind of a quantum leap in ski boots, I think. Luke, did you have a question for Paul on that? Yeah, I I wasn't really on top of that category at the time. Paul, do you know, like, before the TLT5, were your alter- alternatives basically, like, kilogram ski boots that you could barely ski in and then like super heavy touring boots or what were your other options at the time yeah i mean not like super heavy boots but uh the yeah it was mostly boots like the um uh boots like the scarpas i think that the first version of the maestrale or whatever its immediate predecessor was 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 out around that time but most people who were like more aggressive skiers thought they needed boots like, you know, like the Dinafit Titan came out around that same time, which was, and that was like the evolution of the Zeus. And those were like real popular boots. But, you know, the boot market was kind of, for, for more aggressive skiers, was trending toward like four buckle boots that looked like Alpine boots with walk modes. And then uh, Dinafit kind of came out with that boot that skied better. You know, I had the Titans too, and the, the TLT5s with a little bit of tweaking skied better and weighed like literally half as much. Sticking with touring boots, we Sam did such a good and impassioned job of making a case for the Scarpa Maestrale series, I think, that somehow we never got around to kind of asking the hard question when we were talking about like best ski boot of the past 10 years. And I felt remiss that we didn't make specific mention of the Technica Zero-G Tour Pro. That's a boot that Luke Coppa and I both love. Um, we really need to get Paul forward in that boot. Um, Paul, I, I'm working on that. But I think that it just it has to at least be in that conversation. I'm For me, of the past 10 years, that would be the single touring boot that I personally would select. In the, in the realm of AT gear, again, that's just me. It fits my foot, et cetera, et cetera, all the normal caveats on that. But we didn't, we didn't give it mention, and I don't think that's right. Luke? Yeah, the, the boot is really, really good. Um, I wish it fit my foot just a bit better. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, contrary to what we say all the time, I am kind of willing to deal with that in exchange for the performance. Um, just like... It's light enough, walks really well enough for longer spring and summer missions, but then is plenty stiff, at least for someone of my size to ski as kind of a do-everything touring boot. And yeah, big fan. We had several people say that we should have talked about the Marker Duke or Marker Baron, that we kind of gave that short mention. My only point is that's just not, true I, I don't i don't think we missed there that binding came out in 2007 so i very much think of the baron duke as a, a super important product of the previous decade but not 
I, I mean, I think I was the one talking about the kingpin being a, a really kind of influential and incremental step in the AT binding game. And I think I would still, for the last 10 years, rather highlight the marker kingpin before I was talking about the marker Duke. I think we've got our eras slightly confused there. Um, that's kind of all I had to say on that. But yeah, 2007, previous era. We also had some folks saying, you know, asking like, where's the Technica? There's a lot of Technica uh, here, I realized. But uh, a lot of folks were asking about the Technica Cochise boot. I think that first iteration came out actually in, in the... 2011-2012 series. So unlike the Baron, it would be a legitimate candidate. I don't know. I, I'm i still not the one to say it, it wasn't the first touring boot, et cetera, et cetera. But Paul, do you want to make a case for the Cochise? Uh, I'll make a case against the Cochise being included in that <laughs> okay. category. Um, you know, there were some good things about that boot, right? It, it was, uh, I think the biggest advance that boot represented was like a pretty performance fit in a boot that had a walk mode. Um, but as far, you know, I, ha- I had plenty of problems with the walk mode on that uh, boot. I had friends that had plenty of problems with the walk mode on that boot uh, pretty much in every iteration up until the most current one. And uh, I, I had friends that broke that boot. And I know that gear breaks, and I know that's kind of weak because everybody breaks everything. But I feel like that boot was a bit problem prone and uh, I, I would not nominate that boot for gear of the year based on personal experience. Yeah, and I think, at least for some people, they were arguing not best boot of the decade, but most yeah. influential. And I, I don't have a great idea of that. It seems like one of the first really popular boots that was essentially just an Alpine boot with a walk mode rather than like a dedicated touring boot or something like that. And I could definitely see the case being made for like, I mean, we see so many 50-50 boots nowadays that are really similar to Alpine boots, both with walk modes and slightly lighter materials. Um, But I don't know if like, I mean, it sounds like the Titan could have been kind of, you could make the case for that before it. um, So I'm not exactly sure. Yeah, but I mean, we also see now like companies are killing off their heavy boots with walk modes, like the Scarpa Freedoms, for example, are Mm -hmm. no longer... Um, so I'm not sure that Kochi's kicked off a trend more as it like highlighted the need for high performing walk mode boots. Mm-hmm. Paul, did you have something to add on that? Yeah, I, I agree. I think that uh, it was kind of a flash in the pan kind of category where everybody wanted like race boots that had a walk mode. And I think, uh, you know, the Kochi's was the first like legitimate attempt at that. But I, I personally, having skied lots and lots of those boots, I think like the the real application for a, a basically like a super stiff heavy boot that you can that has you know in real in re, real life twenty or thirty degrees of range of motion isn't that high isn't that isn't that useful of a product? Okay, Kristen Sinat, good morning. Good morning. <laughs> um, two things I wanted to ask you. Someone correctly, I think, wrote in and said, why aren't you talking about the Blizzard Black Pearl 88? And we are going to be talking about that ski in the accompanying 
write-ups that we're doing on the website, uh, which may already be up by the time people are hearing this or shortly thereafter. But I just wanted to, I guess, ask you, one, I guess, would you sign off on the need to include that Black Pearl 88 uh, in conversations about best products of the past 10 years? Yes, I would uh, agree that it's um, a very popular ski and it's still, you still see people skiing it everywhere. Um, so I think, I think it's a good contender for best ski of the past decade. Wasn't it the best selling ski in the world at one point? That's, that's what Blizzard always says. I don't have the sales data to prove that, but if we take them at their word, then yeah. I just can't believe it sold more than the Soul 7. <laughs> Shut up, Sam. <laughs> um, Kristen, the other thing is that you had kind of asked the question or were a bit surprised, I think, that we didn't talk at all about packs in our last conversation about, you know, most influential or best gear of the decade. That might be just a nice segue to our now the conversation about our predictions for the next 10 years. But I will give you this opportunity, if you like, to make the case about that category of gear or particular packs of just being something that should not be left out of a conversation of the most influential or best gear of the last 10 years. Yeah, so I have an airbag. It was a gift, and I've used it, uh, and I enjoy it, and a lot of friends do. Um, it's just one of those things that seems like a safety net but can actually work really well in the backcountry, and nothing like that had been um, on the market before. You had, like, the Avi lungs and stuff like that, but um, something like the airbag I think has been a big player in the backcountry, and I think segueing into the next 10 years, I think it can be improved. It's um, especially like the battery operator is the one I have and making that lighter weight um, and a smaller footprint, I think it's going to bring even more people around to carrying one of those in the backcountry and price point too. It's still very expensive. Paul, are you more inclined to sort of talk about Avi packs as a product from the last 10 years or are you more interested in where things where they might go in the next 10 years i think more of the latter you know i i had my first abs pack i think in like 2002 and they were using them in europe in the 90s and the technology a the technology hasn't really Kristen mentioned the electronic packs which i think is the first real advancement in airbag packs in you know like over 20 years um but so they weren't, you know, they've been around for quite a while and just recently got improved a little bit at, toward the end of the last decade. But, um, you know, I'm a little leery of, I, I think they're great and I use one every day when I'm working, but I'm not as convinced that they're actually the greatest thing in the ski industry. I, um, I think there's a lot of issues with them and uh, particularly that they just maybe don't work as well in a lot of the applications where people use them as, as is perceived. 
Uh, and, that, and I don't want to get into the risk homeostasis kind of argument that, you know, if you have safer gear, you'll do more dangerous stuff. I think that's a real can of worms in itself. But I, I'm big picture, I'm more interested in where the avalanche safety will go in the future and what airbag packs look like or whatever comes up with next. Sam, you have thoughts on that? Yeah. And to kind of um, to kind of build on that, Paul, like one of the things I'm excited to see in the next decade is the direction of, you know, just general safety and avalanche safety within that, you know, I feel like we did see a bit of a shift and correct me if I'm wrong here, you're, you're much more boots on the ground with this stuff, but I feel like we did see a shift in avalanche education this last decade towards, you know, away from kind of the snow science and a lot more into more practical human factor applications and things like that. Um, and I do, I do wonder where that, where that sort of education and, and the safety equipment is going to go in the next decade. Yeah, hundred percent. And I agree with you completely. And I think it was a good move personally. I think like, you know, you want to get people's eyes to glaze over in an avalanche course, you start talking about like, you know, crystal metamorphosis. Um, and I don't think there's a whole lot of like, you know, real good meat that you take away from, from that information that you actually, people actually apply uh, for most users. Um, so I agree. I think the education is getting refined. You know, we've just seen some big changes in, in the way that we do it in the United States as far as the way we've structured our avalanche education. It's much more like other countries like Canada now with more emphasis on decision making. And I agree. I think there's a lot of room for improvement. And we're going to get this to, to this later in the podcast on uh, avalanche safety equipment as well. So let's do this. Let's start kind of going round table. I think what we'll do is on this question of, you know, what are our individual gear predictions for this next 10 years and like, where are we heading? What I tried to do is kind of pick my top one, two, and three choices in order. And assuming you guys did something similar, we'll kind of just roll around the table and go through some of those. My number one actually was Avi bags. I think Packs, Avi packs 10 years from now are going to look, I think, quite a bit different than they do now, mostly in terms of I think they are going to get a lot lighter and more convenient in terms of when we're talking through whether we're going electric or canister or the rest. I, I'm going to predict that there are going to be a lot of refinements on that front. And even if you guys just got done saying we question their overall utility or, you know, the, the stuff that Sam and Paul just raised, I suspect that they will be a more common thing 10 years from now for people going into the backcountry, as opposed to a less common thing where we've decided this isn't, this isn't a valuable piece of gear. So I'll, I'll offer that as my first prediction. Paul, what would be your first prediction? Oh, I think in line with what you're talking about, I think we're going to keep seeing more emphasis on gear that can be used both in bounds and in the backcountry. You know, we've, we've been seeing that for 20 years, and I think there's still a lot of popularity in that category. I think we'll see more refinements in, in the general, that general category of gear, cross skis, bindings, boots, and all of the uh, accoutrement that comes with that. Luke? Yeah, I agree with Paul, and I think we got at least one or two comments about kind of related to that gear that you can use inbounds and in the backcountry, the aspirational aspect of backcountry skiing. And I think 
I mean, we've discussed this before, but I think that's a big part of why we see so many shift bindings in the resort this year. Like, I mean, in that case, it's something that performs like an alpine binding for the most part. And it gives you the option, or at least you can tell people that, yeah, I, I will go touring eventually or plan on it in the future. Um, and I think that's a big part. And a lot of people probably aren't touring a whole lot, but um, gives them the option. And the other upside is that 50-50 gear tends to be pretty light, pretty easy to use um, for people who maybe aren't as concerned with going super fast in the resort. They don't need the heaviest setup. Um, I feel like that's another appealing aspect of this transition of gear you can use inbounds and out. Um, and I don't see that going away very soon. I'm torn on this one personally. Um, I hear you guys. I still, part of me wants to think in 10 years, we'll just think clearer about touring equipment is over here. Inbounds equipment is over there, but, um, I don't know that I'm willing to like wager heavily on that one. Um, it just would make a lot more sense. And I will continue to point to the fact that we have seen some skis at least getting heavier and a lot of manufacturers wanting to point out the fact that their stuff got heavier from the previous iteration. So, um, we'll have to see where this one shakes out and, uh, Long and short, make skis heavy. Anyway, um, Luke, did that was that an actual prediction, or did you just totally piggyback on what Paul said? Uh, no, I also had that on my list. That was your number one? Yeah, and like in line with that, just I feel like companies are continuing to make light stuff, especially for inbounds use, but I also think that, at least I kind of hope, that people are going to figure out what sort of light gear works well and what sort of light gear does not work well. Um, I would love to see a shift away from really light and really stiff skis in particular. Um, I, I think, I mean, the market itself is at least for dedicated inbounds equipment. That's really light. That's still a relatively new thing. And I feel like companies are kind of slowly figuring that out and, I'm hoping slash predicting that we're, we'll be see we'll be seeing better, lighter inbounds gear in the next decade. Okay, Sam, what's your first prediction? Yeah, so first I would like to say that I probably agree with Luke and Paul on this. I uh, you know we were, I think last last podcast we kind of predicted the leveling off of 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 backcountry just in general, but I don't really see that leveling off continuing to 50-50 because I do think there is this big aspirational part of it as well. And also it's just kind of like fiscally unreasonable for a lot of people to own a full inbounds and a full touring setup. Um, But my first one on the list, taking a bit of a departure, is is that I think we're going to see a significant decline in the popularity of puffy jackets. This has kind of been huge and it's like eked its way into all sort of layers of apparel from the fashion world all the way to the super high performance outdoor space. Um, but I think what 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 we're what people are realizing is that it's really not a very breathable option. And there are, we have technologies 
now that have shown up in the past few years that allow you to have pretty warm, pretty solid insulation that also offer breathability. And not only do I see the pendulum swinging from just a fashion aesthetics perspective away from, from, from the puffy, but also a technology perspective as well. Okay. Interesting. Kristen, what you got? Uh, so mine's a little different. Um, it's more general focus on gear. Uh, we've seen sustainability be a hot topic, um, for mostly soft goods, um, pieces that are made from recycled materials and can be recycled post-use. So I think that trend will continue. Um, and I, it would be nice to see, uh, hard good companies taking a better look at their sustainability options. I know in that podcast with Atomic, Boots, they mentioned uh, their use of recycled materials on some of their boots, but I don't know of many ski companies that are doing much with that. Um, so hopefully just the hard good companies will get more into recycling sustainability. Yeah, and I actually had that as my third, kind of my number three in predictions, and I kind of just stated it definitely just piggybacking off of what you just said, um, that the advances in ski design and in apparel will be material advances, perhaps more than performance advances. And But the material advances will have to do like with using less toxic and more, say, biodegradable materials, that kind of thing, than seeing these huge performance leaps forward from where we are today. So yeah, I, I agree with you, Kristen. Obviously, you know, I think an important company to just mention right now is Wonder Alpine, right? We spoke with them and granted, they're just getting started in terms of what they're doing. But um, with this focus on what can we do from a less toxic, more sustainable point of view on the materials side, they've kind of positioned themselves as, as a leader and uh, having a very specific interest in that. And um, we'll see where Wonder Alpine goes with things and where the rest of the industry goes with things. So anyway, um, that's a good one. Paul, I think we're back to you. What's your next gear prediction for the next 10 years? I think uh, more emphasis on comfort particularly in the boot realm, but all around, <clears throat> you know, it's really exciting that if it's true that we're getting more, more and more people into skiing with, especially with the advent of these new mega passes and the Vail Terror stuff. And I think in general, uh, if more people are getting into skiing and we're, we have the capability to make stuff more comfortable and user-friendly, I think the industry should do it. And I think they will. And I think we're starting to see it with things like, you know, the rear entry boot return. But uh, I think we're going to see more more emphasis across the performance spectrum in comfort and usability. Yeah, I think that's an important one. And uh, I'd like to think that we can up the comfort and not kill the performance, right? But um, that would be nice, and we'll see where that goes. Luke, what do you got? Uh, actually, I mean, Paul's note kind of segues into one of my... Uh, answers to one of our other questions in terms of room for improvement. Yeah. I've had a lot of people come visit CB recently who don't ski a whole lot. And I find it almost comical explaining ski boots to them. I'm like, yeah, if you want it to ski well, it's going to hurt. And then I step back. I'm like, that doesn't necessarily need to be the case. And so 
in terms of room for improvement, I feel like if some company was able to make, I don't know, a, an extremely heat moldable plastic that still skied really well, like the fact that you, if you want to have a pair of boots that doesn't hurt a lot and still skis really well, you're probably going to have to spend a ton of time at a boot fitter and probably going to have to do some work, at least like in many of our cases. And just like if a company could magically make a boot that you can just mold to your feet and it skis well, I feel like that that's a huge area for improvement because right now it's just kind of matter of fact that like, yeah, your ski boots are either going to hurt, they're either not going to ski well, or you're going to have to put in a ton of effort and probably pay a lot of money to get that ideal combination. I mean, I feel like some people from Atomic and Solomon might want to have a word with you right now. I'd be happy to discuss why uh, heat molding does not work for my feet. (laughs) Okay. All right. So Luke (laughs) wants better heat moldable options. Or just any sort of quick and easy fitment option. But that's the first thing that comes to mind. I can't wait for you to be like weirdly assassinated an outdoor <laughs> retailer this year. That's going to be, well, actually, no, I don't, I don't need you dead. That doesn't really help us out around here. Um, Sam, what do you got? Yeah. So, you know, we were talking a little bit about how, you know, you get, some people want to see gear get heavier, this kind of split between inbounds and touring. But um, what I think will actually happen because now the market has seen what really light gear is like and has seen what really heavy gear is like, I think we're going to see a lot more companies um, split up their offerings kind of like Blizzard currently does, where you know they have their, their Brahma, Bonafide, Cochise, Bodacious, heavy, planted, like damp line, and then they have their Rustler line, which is kind of the lighter weight, more playful line. Um, as opposed to being like, oh, if you're looking at all mountain skis, well, yeah, so you go to Vocal, they're going to be heavier. You go to Solomon, they're going to be lighter or, you know, whatever. I don't know. Um, individual companies, exactly. But I think the idea of like, there will be consumers who want the light ski and there will be consumers who want the heavy ski and we'll see companies reflect that in the way that they build their lines. Well, Sam, I think you also, in fairness to Blizzard, you left out a really important additional line of theirs the zero g line right which is their dedicated touring stuff so just to just to agree with what you said there it's like we've got our heavier you know kind of whatever they're calling it the free ride free ride line with the brahma coaches then there's the lighter the lighter rustler series then there's the dedicated touring stuff in the zero g right which just is real coherent Right? Yep. Yep. Yeah. Here's to coherence. That would be good and would make me happy. Um, Kristen, what do you got? This might be um, more wishful thinking than where we're headed, but smaller size boot options for hard charging um, females, basically, or anyone with a small foot. Uh, as I think many listeners are aware, Sasha's, uh, one of our reviews, has tiny feet and struggles to find a Mondo size 21 and a half. Mm hmm boot with a regular tall cuff and with more and more people getting in, if that, if that is true in the prediction, um, and, uh, you know, more folks with smaller feet too, with different ethnicities and stuff like that, then bringing, um, those size boots around would be, you know, the ski industry should head that way. And I've also heard about the opposite end of the spectrum too, like people being frustrated, they can't find boots big enough for them. Um, and yeah, Kristen, great point. Like as 
more people get into skiing, I think there's going to be more demand for a broader offering to fit all varieties of foot shapes and foot sizes. So once the industry finally makes Luke's magical jello moldable boots, you just dip your feet in the batch of jello, then 10 minutes later, you just have a perfectly solid comfortable high performing jello plastic boot and then problem solved. Yeah. So boot industry, there you go. There's your vision. Get on that. Okay, I've got my number 2 was uh electric snowmobiles are going to get really good and break down a lot less than the current gas powered sleds of today. That's mostly a shout out to everybody here in CB who keeps asking me if I have a sled yet. And I just keep saying I'm holding out for the electric ones. And um, so that's why that's to mine. But I I actually think that's true. So that's my prediction. Um, All right. Kind of lightning round. If if anybody wants to offer up a third prediction here before we get on to some of our other questions. Paul, back to your turn. I think there's going to be, in general, more electronics in skiing. And I don't necessarily think that's a good thing, but I think we're going to see more like the goggles with heads up displays and all kinds of stuff like that. And more people using apps on their phones and who knows what technology in the future, but there's got to be way more electronics coming at us designed towards skiing. Interesting. Yeah. Sam? Um, I see specifically in apparel, a movement towards like balancing this breathable weather protection spectrum. You know, we've kind of seen it in, in, in hard shells recently where there's a whole bunch of these air permeable things with future light and whatever. Um, but I think across the different categories of apparel, we're going to see breathability becoming um, a lot more important, especially in marketing lingo. Okay. Kristen. I was going to talk about airbags, but I think we've already hit that one. So that was you. That's what you had on for number three. Yes. Okay. Yeah. My, my number three, I already said I was in agreement with Kristen, um, that I think we're going to see, I predict that 10 years from now, this, this maybe flies slightly counter to what Sam just said, but my prediction is 10 years from now, there will be fewer straight up performance advances when it comes to ski design and apparel design that 10 years from now, the bigger advances will be on the kind of material advances in terms of sustainability, biodegradability, less toxicity, et cetera. Moving on, what gear category, in your opinion, has the most room for improvement in the coming decade? Paul, why don't you kick us off? Well, we've talked about it a bunch, but I think ski boots have a lot of room for improvement. Um, I think, as you guys have mentioned, sizing, uh, fitting difficult feet, And just in general, I mean, the basic Alpine ski boot hasn't changed in what, like 30 years, 40 years and more. I mean, it's basically a two piece shell with four buckles that everybody crams their foot into. And I'm not sure where it's going to come from. I'm not sure if we're going to see like more customization, you know, if somebody's going to 3D print a boot or if uh, we're going to see just better technology or new materials. But I think there's a ton of room for improvement in boots. The second one is... um, I think we're just getting into uh, the crossover bindings that are actually are, are pretty functional in both directions with the um, with the shift, and I think there's 
probably a lot of room for improvement in, in bindings in general, but in particular bindings that go uphill and downhill uh, without much compromise. And I think there's a lot of, a lot of room there, and I think we're going to see that. And then I made a mention also, as you guys have talked about, is room for improvement in avalanche safety equipment. Um, again, we're pretty much using the same stuff we've used for 25 years with some incremental improvements. I think there's, I think we're probably going to see some emphasis there. Okay, be more specific. Okay, well, I mean, avalanche beacons are are great. Yep. And uh, and they have gotten incrementally quite a bit better. I think the latest iteration of them is are the by far the most user-friendly and uh, and functional that we've ever seen, like a lot better. And that it seems like they're, they're getting better faster in recent years. Um, but I think there's still a lot of room for improvement there with the Beacon user uh, interface. Uh, and then I think, um, I don't know what's going to happen with airbags, but I think, like you said, Jonathan, we're going to see uh, lighter, more user-friendly airbags. And you know whether we sh- whether everybody should be using an airbag or not. I think is a whole other discussion. But I think we're going to, like you said, see more people using them or whatever comes next in uh, in avalanche safety beyond airbags. Yep. Sam, give us your ranked list of gear that has the most room for improvement in the next ten years. Yeah. So first on my list is kind of a, a, maybe a bit of a cop out, but just apparel in general. Um, and I think this could probably be said for any decade going back as well that, you know, apparel is something we spend so much time and it's so like tactile and so linked to the, all these experiences that we have that um, small improvements can often go a long way. So I, uh, I'm excited to see where apparel in general ends up going. Um, number two on my list is climbing skins. Um, kind of piggyback, piggybacking off what Paul said, this is a technology that hasn't changed since basically it was invented when we were cutting skins off animals and sticking them to skis. Um, it seems archaic to me every time I, I put a pair on or take a pair off. And uh, I'm not sure what that, that, that improvement might or might not look like, but um, we, will, we will see and I hope that they get better. And then also number three, like Paul said, is just safety and safety in general. And I think that for for me covering, yeah, backcountry equipment, you know, beacons, even the shovel probe, airbag, stuff like that, but also just the idea of safety and how we think about safety. I think we're going to see a lot more people taking avalanche gear in bounds. You know, we just saw, what was that yesterday or two days ago, that that, that avalanche in, um, in in the North Montana, Idaho, I'm blanking now, or two people died in, in an inbounds avalanche. And I think um, as more and more people want to go out and ski powder and all that stuff, I think we're going to see more and more, more and more emphasis on safety and maybe some changes in the ways that we think about safety in general. Kristen, what's your rank list for gear that has the most room for improvement? So I had airbags, um, as my first one, same thing, size, weight, price for um, those. A lot of improvement could, I think, uh, be seen there. My other one, I only have two. Uh, My other one is kind of weird, helmets. I'm not a huge fan of the options available right now and hope to see some improvements with fit for different head shapes and perhaps a little less clunky too. Uh, My go-to is the Pox Skull X and I love it. It's super comfortable, but there's no fence or anything like that. And most of the other ones just aren't super comfortable on me. So um, I'm curious to see if it will become um, 
have some improvements in the coming decade, but I'm hopeful. Okay. My list here, and I actually had, I ranked kind of one to five on this, and so I'll just burn through them quickly. My number one was actually Avi Beacons because it it's not that I think today's are terrible. As Paul said, he's like, we're, we're, they're better than they've ever been. I just think it's easy to imagine, like underscore, just imagine that these, that, that beacons look a lot different in 10 years than they do today. And so I think they could be much smaller. We talked about bringing electronics, more electronics into skiing in general. They maybe won't even be dedicated devices anymore. I'm not saying they shouldn't be. I'm just saying it's easy to imagine that they won't. So anyway, I think that beacons 10 years from now could look a whole lot different. Um, my number two, in terms of room for improvement, Avi Packs. Third, I had Touring Skins. I agree with Sam. These haven't changed. And to answer Sam's question of what will happen, I think we're going to get to the point where the like kind of quote-unquote glueless skins actually work, right? No more of this like trying to rip skins, you know, apart off of each other. So I, I think we're going to get more dialed in glueless technology is my prediction. Fourth goggle lenses. I think we're going to maybe truly see the death of the multiple lens thing where we're, we're, we already have photochromatic. I just think that's going to get more and more dialed where you actually can have one lens that really works exceptionally well in bright light down to flat light. And I'm not making the prediction, I guess, so much that that's happening, but in terms of room for improvement, right, that I think would be a big advancement. And then fifth is where I had Alpine ski boots. I actually, I guess because of my golden, lucky golden feet that fit low-volume boots generally pretty well, I think the performance is there right now. The advancement will be in terms of comfort, easy on off, things that frankly I don't really care about, but a whole lot of other people do. That's not a prediction about where it'll be in 10 years. It's just that would be the room for improvement. So that's my list on that. Can I throw out one more random comment in this category? Sure. So I wasn't sure where to insert this, but I, for a long time, I've thought that I've been surprised that no one in skiing has ever tried to integrate any type of like suspension product into boots bindings. I mean, to, a, to some degree, they are in bindings, but uh, I, I just wonder if we're going to see some type of actual like dampers uh, being built into uh, skis or boots at some point. I think this is totally out of the box, but um, man, when you watch like World Cup racing, it's just, it just seems like there's got to be suspension being built into like skis that are being pushed to that degree. And I think it could trickle down into everyday market. Hey Paul, have have you ever seen those those things where like it's like a it's not really it's almost like a cable that you kind of clip into like the back of your pants and then it goes down to like oh, yeah. I don't know yeah something like that is that sort of what you're thinking? Yeah, well, when you get to my age, you start thinking about that stuff more. <laughs> <laughs> no, I actually had some, I actually had a heli ski client who uh, who used those for for her whole trip. Um, she was like in her eighties and. Uh, she would, we'd shoot out of the helicopter, we'd clip her into her, uh, I can't remember what they were called, but uh, I, I see, I could see something happening more like at the the binding ski interface, but uh, <laughs> that's the theme, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. 
I mean, on, on the suspension front, I think we've had a lot of companies start implementing rubber, right, into the layup of their skis or around the core. And I mean, that's just one, uh, that's not a super sexy answer, but that has been something where in the core itself, right, around the core, some companies have been implementing a hard rubber to try to just serve as and provide more damping. Um, so there's that, but Paul wants, Paul wants more go-go gadget suspension uh, in between the binding and ski. I'm ready for Fox shocks on my, on my ski boot <laughs> okay. interface, ski to boot okay. interface. Perfect. Um, okay. So if the last category was supposed to be more of a question of imagination, right? What gear has the most room for improvement in terms of what we could imagine? I want to turn now to not an imagination question, but the the actual prediction of where do you predict that we will actually see the most improvement in gear, say by the year 2029, right? So this is put your place your bets. Where will we actually see the most improvement, not just hypothetical areas for improvement and all this stuff? Paul, what's your number one? I think big picture is going to be materials still. I mean, that was the big change we saw in the last decade. And I think we're going to start move toward solving some of the problems we've discussed with um, new materials. I suspect we're going to see something else, some other polymer pop up in boots at some point besides, you know, Grilliman, PE and PU. Mm-hmm. Um, I think similar in skis, you know, we, we the 2010s were the era where every, every ski got carbon. Um, skis have had tetanol for a long time. I, I would think we're going to keep seeing uh, stuff like uh, Renown is doing, uh, other other kind of creative uses of uh, other types of industrial materials. Um, and then, I, like I kind of mentioned before, I think we're going to see more gear that's emphasized toward comfort and more gear that is personalized to the individual. So I think, you know, 3D printing is exploding. And I think it's gonna, there's going to be places in ski equipment where we're going to see some of that start to trickle in, maybe at the high end of the market initially. Um, and then, for better or worse, I think we're going to see like more magnets. They're kind of gimmicky, um, but I think we're going to see more magnets in ski gear. <laughs> Maybe with some real good applications and just some goofy ones. But <laughs> okay, and the electronics thing. We already talked about that. <laughs> okay, I'm not sure. I mean, you kind of dodged the specific category of products. So, like, if we all had to put down a thousand dollars, put it in a vault you know, until 2029. I, let me press you just a little bit on what specific category do you think will be, we'll, we will look back in 2029 and be like, this single ca- product category made the most advances, you know, f- from 2029 to where we are today. I would say ski boots. I'd say we're going to see better materials and better technology customizing fit for, for individuals' feet. Um, across the board from high end to low to less expensive stuff and uh, small feet to big feet. Okay. Sam, what do you got? Um, I'm going to say apparel and I'm going to make this bold prediction. I think we're going to see apparel companies going kind of like we've seen food companies, kind of like we've seen some, some other industries go in this sort of hyper local way. You know, I think we're going to see companies where the fibers, the yarns, 
the 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 fabrics and the production are all done in the same place and then also sold in that same place and i think we 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 have the we have the technology to do it now i think we just need sort of the the consumer appetite to evolve a little bit and uh and and some 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 people with the right vision and motivation to make it happen but i do i do think we're going to see the most advancements in apparel and that is my prediction that by the end of the next 10 years that sort of concept is more prevalent in the in the market that's a pretty interesting one sam i don't i think i'm willing to bet you on that but i also think that's a really interesting one right like i so i hope you're right um kristen what do you got uh, just same story. I'm going with airbags on that. Um, I think there's a lot of room for improvement and with more people getting out into the back country or even the side country, I think there's, um, more pressure on companies to make them lighter and cheaper. Yep. Um, yeah, my, I had a tie actually again, so I would, um, I'll have to, I guess, put two bets down or split the money. But, um, I think by 2029, we will, the Avi packs we have and the goggle lenses we have, we will look back and think things were real archaic in 2020. Um, that's my, that's a tie for number one for me. Um, my number two place, or I guess third place, would be Avi beacons that we will look back in 2029 and be like, I can't believe what we were using in 2020. Luke? Um, I mean, most of you guys said, uh, the things that were on my list, but if I want to get super specific, I think synthetic insulation and apparel is going to get a lot better. Um, Patagonia has already made Plumafil. It's a synthetic insulation that in our experience is extremely close to down in terms of warmth to weight ratio, but it's water resistant. So I anticipate that more companies are going to have synthetic insulation that actually competes with down. I think they're going to start making that, being able to make that recycled um, because most of these synthetics are just polyester fibers. Um, and I think we're going to get better active insulation and specifically more varied, like everything from super breathable minimal insulation to very warm insulation that still breathes a little bit. Um, I think that's where a lot of the improvement could be made in, in the apparel world, at least. Okay. We've got to go to true lightning round here because Paul Forward is sitting in Kotzebue and is about to have to go leave us to go save lives. So let's keep this quick. Where do you predict that we will see the least amount of improvement or change in gear at the end of 2029? Paul? Uh, the shapes of skis. I feel like we had an experimental phase there for a while. And uh, I don't think we're going to see a lot of ski shape changes. And it makes me a little sad because I think we're going to see a lot less powder-specific experimentation out there in the future years. I feel like that might be behind us. But that's my prediction for least evolution in ski gear. Sam? Yeah, I'm just going to say skis in general, everything about them. <laughs> okay. Kristen? Ski poles. Yeah, Cop out, boo. No, that's no. a great answer. That's a great answer. It's a I'm with perfect you. answer. <laughs> Luke? Yeah, I agree with Paul. Ski shapes. I feel like, I mean, we'll definitely see some different stuff, but most of it has been tried already, just in terms of shapes. Uh, Kristen is actually correct. It is ski poles. 
will be there will be the least amount such a cop out no that's it's it's gear if you ask a question and there's a right answer i'm gonna put in the right (laughs) exactly Kristen. that's well done uh i i i actually would think it's ski poles one i think skis in general i'm actually gonna put that third because i think my number two is alpine bindings alpine bindings work pretty well so Kristen definitely got the right answer. And then I think it will be a toss up for whether it's kind of ski shapes. Actually, I do think ski shapes is the right answer. Shapes will not be radically different in 2029. Then we'll go Alpine bindings. You say that about Alpine bindings, but when you get your first full suspension, bindings, <laughs> your mind will be blown. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm going to look real dumb. You're right, Paul. Yeah, I need bindings with a Kashima coating for sure. Yep. Will we see by 2029 or at the end of 2029 more of a focus on women's specific products in the ski world or less of a focus Kristen uh, I think more companies um, have been creating are dedicated to women's specific gear with input on design by ladies and ski lines with specific women's lines like the mind bender that just came out um, so I don't think there's a lot more room to grow uh, more and more women might be getting into skiing, but I think right now the options are pretty good. And there are also a lot of women that like to ski men's skis. And some skis just work with a different top sheet. They don't even need a different top sheet, but it's kind of just like, oh, here you go, ladies. But like the Santa Ana Enforcer line, like that's my favorite ski. Um, and it doesn't have to be tweaked specifically for a woman. So. Yeah, I think I think companies will continue to be split. Like some are doing totally unique women's products and some are just putting different top sheets and i've talked to tons of consumers that prefer either of those things some people like the unisex style some people like women specific so i feel like at least based on right now seems like it'll continue to be kind of 50 50 like that i think i would predict that one we will definitely see more women being brought to the table and in terms of getting their input on gear, we will see more women in terms of the marketing of the sport and having kind of, you know, being kind of faced forward um, in when companies are doing their, their, their marketing of products. But I think I'm actually going to predict that we see less talk about women's specific gear at the end of 2029. So I think, again, I don't know if I'm right on this one. I think we might be in more of a kind of unisex world at the end of 2029, but that women will definitely have been brought in more than ever before in terms of getting input on, say, some of that unisex equipment. Um, And that might mean that you know, we've seen this where when we're talking about shorter lengths or smaller sizes um, and some of this equipment, that might be um, dialed in or tuned in a bit more or like we're really seeking out um, female input on some of that. But I guess that's how I would have to, if I have to wager or predict, that's where I see the end of 2029. Okay, let's go to your wildest, most outlandish prediction for gear by the end of 2029. You're not now saying that this is likely to happen. Just just go big and get weird. Um, Paul? 
Uh, this isn't exactly gear, but my wildest prediction is that the indoor ski areas will take it to the next level with uh, anti-gravity technology so that <laughs> you have like 20% less gravity for when you want to try new tricks. That'd be sick. <laughs> Luke <laughs> loves this one. Yeah, that'd okay. be sweet. Uh, Luke, what do you got? Um, wildest, I don't know. We have a 200 gram binding that is certified to Alpine level safety releases and skis like an Alpine binding. Wow. I mean, it's not going to happen, but if we want to throw wild predictions out. <laughs> Luke's just so fascinated with Paul's prediction. He's not able to think of anything else right now. Sam, what's, what's yours? Mine is a like Wolverine style skin where you can like put the claws out on the bottom of your ski, walk up the mountain, and then like suck them back in when you ski down. <laughs> and I'm only half kidding about that. There's like definitely some possibilities there. <laughs> okay. Oh, yeah. Like, or just retractable fish scales, maybe? Something like that. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Kristen? I think I missed the mark on this because those are really good <laughs> ideas. And I I was going to say heated seats on chairlifts, but turns out they exist already. <laughs> oh, yeah. 2016. Oh, wow. <laughs> A little bummed that I haven't been on one yet. Uh, but so maybe heated ski pants. I don't think there's really any um, good ski pants out there that are heated. You have your gloves, socks, vests, boot bags. Um, but if you can get on a chairlift that the lifties haven't cleared and your ski pants don't get wet and your butt stays dry, I think that'd be nice. Wow. Just really in the butt section. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Those are so good. I can't even compete. So I'm just going to give all of you the last word on that. Um, But that's one where we should definitely ask listeners, give us your wildest predictions uh, in the comments section of the show notes of this episode on the website. And Give us all your other predictions. Answer these questions uh, that we've gone through here and uh, let us know your thoughts. Um, let's leave it at that for now. That was pretty good. Uh, ski industry, we've given you some, some things to really strive for here. And, uh, you know, we're, we're watching. So, um, you know, at the end of 2029, we can look back at this, see how far we've come or not. By then, I can't wait till uh, I'm skiing with you guys on our on our Fox Shock skis and um, you know in our heated pants and uh, retractable fish scale skis and all the rest. So it's it's gonna be sweet. Can't wait. Are, are, are we gonna negotiate royalties for these ideas before we publish this? <laughs> we'll, we'll do that. We'll do that off air, Sam. So hey, thanks to all of you and um, I'll let you guys go and we will be talking to each of you very soon. Cool, see ya. Thanks everybody. Thanks. That's it for this edition of Gear 30. Thanks to Paul, Kristen, Sam, and Luke for the conversation. Thanks to Luke Alley for producing this episode and thanks to you for listening. Remember to head over to the show notes for this episode on the Blister website to let us know in the comments section what your own predictions and hopes are for the coming decade, and then share this episode with your other gear-obsessed friends. And after you've done all that, then please remember to take good care out there, and we will talk to you again next week.